am starting. We do okay. have follow-up. All right. <laughs> Bastard. Okay, we're going to start on this argument. <laughs> I got to calm down now because you pissed me off. No. Uh, we do have some follow-up. Uh, it turns out my custom object idea that's used only for testing wasn't a crazy idea after all. There's other people out there doing that, apparently. Hmm. Uh, it does serve, like I said, when I when I introduced the idea, it did serve a good purpose. I mean, I didn't want to have a dependency on any kind of standard objects, and I needed to be able to test all these various different scenarios. And in the context of a what you would call it's an integration test, I need to be able to insert this field, this say an email field or a phone field or something that may or may not, may not have some Salesforce specific constraints on it. Like email is probably a good example of that because. I don't think anybody really, really 100% knows what the expression is that they're using to validate. We all have validators out there that we use, but right. I've had those yeah. fail yep. off and on. You know, I, No one really knows what they're using. And so th- there are instances like that where you want to be able to insert this and see if it goes in. No one actually goes and reads the, what is it, RFC 822? Do you memorize RFCs, John? Nope. Do you? Um, some Surely of you do some not. Of them. Some of them. I knew that one. Oh my God, you're such a nerd. <laughs> I've had to look at that before. Anyone who's had to validate email addresses has read that one. Uh, well, there's a lot of things to validate. But anyways, um, anyway, it served a lot of different purposes in allowing me to kind of do certain things. But before I got that feedback, I found a way to kind of make it functional, a way that it's used beyond just unit testing. And so I changed the name of it from mock object to demo object. So now it's my default demo object. So when you install the package, there's a default uh, almost demo of the tool itself, and it it basically oh, it comes, writes it, it comes to with that its object. own demo. It wow. comes with its own demo. <laughs> it's like toys that you know that come in demo mode. Yeah, exactly. on the shelf. Yeah, John's John's apps come in demo mode. So so I took a need and made it functional by calling it demo instead of mock. Hmm. So now instead of a object that's only used for testing, it's used for demo purposes as well. And maybe this is the same thing, but it reminds me of the problem that Salesforce doesn't let you throw any of the built-in exceptions. So if you just want to test how your class responds to a DML exception, you can't throw a DML exception. Yeah. You've, you've got, no, you can't. You've got to, you've got to like, somehow generate one. And in a lot of cases, there are exceptions that you just can't, uh, you, you can't generate. Well, there are some, you can, like type exception. I, I throw everywhere type exception. I mean, there's some... some you, de- you're, you're actually able to throw type exception? Yeah. Or are you able to cause the system to throw type exceptions? I do throw new type exceptions. Really? So maybe I should try this again because I haven't tried in, in years. But maybe certain ones like DML don't let you, but <clears throat> there are certain ones where I do. Hmm. Well, that would be awesome if you... And in some cases, I have to do... You can't pass in the original exception, but you can do... Uh, in some cases where I wanted to throw a different kind of ep- exception, you have to do set cause or something to get your stack tracing. But other than that, I mean, it, it seemed to work fine. You can't do this with Salesforce. So maybe you can, though. Maybe you can. I, I need to check in that. Um, let's see. Did we have any, what did we talk about last week? It was mainly, oh, some of Benioff's comments from Davos, right? I just, I'm surprised because he got a lot of coverage for that. I mean, that was, that was, that was news bait that those comments he was making about, um, how the government, you know, governments around the world, the UN should, should be, um, what is it? What is he saying? Um, well, he's, he's censoring. No, not censoring. What's the, what's the word? He, regulating. We need to be regulating Facebook and and Google because I don't know why they're they they have too much power or something. But anyway, um, I didn't see. I I expected a rash of kind of follow up articles. You know, either supporting or criticizing or or 
making fun of that, but mm-hmm. just it just fell fell away. There was just had no that story had no staying power whatsoever. I don't know that anyone has it. But any, you know who killed it? Who? Damn Trump. <laughs> because that? he he gave a speech at Davos like the next day. Uh-huh. And so it just that's where all the coverage went. Oh, okay. It's hard to beat that machine, oh, huh? Thanks, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I found it uh I find it kind of funny. Uh he did that tweet with the cigarette thing. Did you see that tweet? <laughs> Benioff did. Yeah. Like Facebook is as bad as cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> I think more than anything, he again it was like kind of a failed attempt at trying to trying to make an argument because all anyone did and including myself was remember those cigarettes and go oh yeah i remember doing that those those were kind of fun what were they you never got those those little cigarettes that uh so there was two different types i think there were some that you just that they were like a candy and you could blow on them and the powdered sugar would come out okay and it would look like smoke yep and then there were some that were a gum and it would do the same thing. You could blow on it. And I remember the gum. I never remembered mm. like a hard can or anything, but I remember you know, the like, gum. It was, um, it was like cornstarch would blow at the end or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I don't know if it's cornstarch or if it was powdered sugar. That but. powder probably gave us cancer. It probably did. <laughs> but I remember loving those things. And of course, my parents were, or my, not my parents, but my father was a smoker. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to smoke. I just wanted to look cool. I wasn't thinking about it in terms of, oh, I wish I could smoke. It was just, oh, I want to look cool. That's just been your lifelong goal. Try to look cool. Well, you know, it probably was a gateway because I do remember uh, taking a few of my dad's butts, cigarette butts, to be sure. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how that translates in other uh, other regions. I think they call say, them fags, right? They do. They do. They do call them that. So I took my father's fags and uh, you know what there's left over and tried to light them and smoke them. <laughs> if you, uh, I also tried to sneak my father's beer until I realized he sticks his butts in the end of his beer oh, out of his can. God. And so like the first time I tried to sneak a swig of his empties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're probably like, man, beer's horrible. Why, did, why does anyone drink this? Uh, the things you do. A swig of butts. <laughs> exactly. So anyways, I don't know. I think it's... So So I've been forming some theories around this. I, I really want to... And I just want to do this in the vein of just fun speculation. Not, not like trying to be serious or trying to be attacking or controversial. But my theory is that uh, what if... What if all his grandstanding around social media is that he can drive down the price? Because assuming that the government does kind of step in and start regulating a already struggling Twitter who's having to now deal with, with uh, regulation, their price might go down. Right. Yeah. And then you can take them over, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm not the only thing on this. There are people no, who are also I, responding to him on Twitter saying, oh, so what would you do differently if you could buy yeah. Twitter? No, this was, um, this had to be either for some kind of business reason. Uh, it was it was all about business, but you know, either it's something like that. Either he's trying to d- to deflate their value, or he's trying to get out in front of potential criticism at le- level at Salesforce of the tech industry in general, because there, there's some of that as well. Yeah, I mean, Facebook might be addictive, but Salesforce is sticky as hell. So should we? Maybe we should regulate Salesforce because it's so they're, sticky. They're it's so proprietary. You can't get it's the Roach Motel of enterprise computing. <laughs> if, why, I think we should regulate Salesforce. <laughs> but they're servicing enterprise customers. They're B two B. They're they're not servicing consumers. Who's not? Salesforce. Oh, um, Whereas Twitter right. and Facebook and all those, they're servicing consumers and they're able and no, 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 uh, they collect the humans and productize them and sell them to advertisers. So productized humans. Yes, that's that, that's what we are. 
<laughs> Jeez. You really know how to put a downer on the subject. I mean, I'm just saying that's that's just advertising. That's how it works. You garner humans so you can... So I was... I you know, was, we, they, we, you want to know, like, you want people in a certain age range of a certain education and certain net worth and annual income and it lives in certain areas and all, it all gets bundled and packaged and sold at, at, at a rate, at a CPM. You know yeah. what a CPM is, don't you? Cost per million? Yeah, cost per thousand. Close enough. CPM. I know. M, M is the Roman letter for, Roman numeral for a thousand. I know. That's stupid. It's a little counterintuitive if you're a... If you uh, work on a modern number system. You know what I think of CPM? What? I give a craps per million. <laughs> That's how many craps you give. How many, how many CPMs do you give, John, right now? <laughs> oh, too much beer today. Yep. All right, yeah, so that, have- was, that was my running theory. Mm-hmm. My running theory was that so he was trying to trying to uh, drive down the cost of Twitter. And maybe he is. Uh, you, yeah, he's, again, anytime Benioff comes out with, and, and takes some stand like this, you've got to read between the lines. There's what he's saying and then there's what his actual motive is. And But, there's but. a but. There's more, and not a cigarette. There's a butt. lot of butts in this. Not show a cigarette so far. butt, and not a, not a, not a fag, but a butt. <laughs> I think Ellison crapped all over his parade. Oh, did he? Yes. How did? How so? Well, because uh, so I saw this article is on Forbes. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Should I play the clip? <laughs> I'm going to get that soundboard. By the way, who suggested that? I don't remember. I, I want to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Anyway, Any monkey with with a set of lipstick on their pig lips can write it for Forbes. <laughs> So this is an article written by Bob Evans. It says, Oracle places huge bets on AI and machine learning to overtake Salesforce and SaaS. Um, so the article talks about a bunch of crap. Um, oh, they, I have this. There are three I have this. bullet points that I want to cover. Okay, I know what they are. That's good. I'm, uh, you and I have the same article. Okay, okay cool. And this is, the, this, is, this is in the area where Ellison thinks he's going to overtake Salesforce. Uh, one of them being that what? it will sell around $2 billion in new enterprise SaaS cloud subscriptions uh, between... December 1st, 2017 and November 30th, 2018. So let's parse this. Okay. To, because this is how he's been able to say that they're selling more SaaS than Salesforce. But right. if you parse what he's actually saying, he's saying new SaaS. Right. So, so yeah, Salesforce is already at two mm-hmm. and two and a half billion dollars per quarter, right? And Oracle's only at $1 billion per quarter, which actually is, given their late start, is, is actually really impressive. Of course, it may not be as oppressive if you consider that they may be forcing some of their on-premise customers to the cloud. Right. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's probably hard to tell. But you're you're kind of burying the first part of the story, which is the fact that the the big way their big strategy is that they're gonna um, they're infusing their entire software suite with AI. Right. <clears throat> but it's not artificial intelligence, John. It's adaptive intelligence. Oh my gosh. Now we're, it's different. Yeah. Now we're splitting words. This huh? is this is a product differentiation. <laughs> well, we've we've already heard how the industry doesn't like the word AI anymore. Well, because we're tired of being lied to. Quit lying to us. Quit calling your linear regression. Yeah, exactly. A freaking AI. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a new word I learned though. Linear regression or oh, new uh, pattern. It's an analysis. Analysis, yeah. yeah. So anyways, yeah, so I know this article centers around the whole kind of AI and what their initiative is for the future and things like that. Um, but there, there's a couple of things in these bullet points. So one of them being that, you know, they're continuing to grow. Okay. That they're breathing down their neck in terms of revenue. Uh, the second bullet point was that Oracle believes that the sheer breadth, and, air quotes, that the sheer breadth and depth of its product lineup will give its SaaS business a scale that Salesforce cannot achieve. 
And that's probably true. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, a scale they can't achieve. I mean, Salesforce has... Can, can you do Docker on Salesforce? I'm sorry. Excuse me. Is Salesforce is doing Docker, so they can scale. Can I do Docker on Salesforce? No, you no, don't have but to. But I can do it on 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 Oracle. John. John. Salesforce is doing Docker, so you don't have to. No, I want just, to be able to just do, just write your Apex code and be happy. I want to be able to do a presentation where I say, "And we're using Docker, the lightweight container." I know. I know. I use Docker all the time, but I just use it to do things like run <laughs> SQL Server on my computer. Uh, and so this last bullet point, this is the one I think reigns on on Benioff's parade, because I think this forces the board to think a little bit more about whatever <sighs> next big expense they're going to make. They're having to think. Because keep in mind, Salesforce already has a ton on goodwill. They don't have a lot to play with. So a big what, purchase... No, t- wait, wait, I got, unpack that for me. What do you mean by that? They have a ton on goodwill, of goodwill? What are you, what are you saying, though? On their books, they have a lot in goodwill. Oh, the actual... Yes. Yeah, yeah the ledger for... Right. Oh, yeah, it's, it's really... So bad. they made a lot of big acquisitions, paid a lot of money for stuff, and a lot of that went into goodwill. Which... Which, which, so goodwill, and I'll probably not explain this well, but anytime a company, let's say you buy a company and its its book value is a billion dollars, right? But you can't pay that for the company because the investors are going to want a premium or else why even sell? So maybe you pay $2 billion for the company, Mm -hmm. right? So you have a billion dollar asset on your books. You just bought a company that's worth one billion. Well, where'd that other billion go? I mean, we have double entry accounting, so this money's all got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So you get a double, you get, you get a billion dollars of an asset, basically, and I'm simplifying. And then you have a billion dollars that add, gets added to the goodwill account. Well, mm-hmm. the, the more you keep buying these companies, the, the more that goodwill account keeps going up and up and up. And it's, it's I believe it's under the asset section. I'm not a CPA, so. so. <laughs> Info at gooddaysirpodcast.com if I'm getting this wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really an asset. And, and the problem is, is over time, you, you, you have to, it's not really amortizing, but you do have to write that goodwill down over time. Yeah. But that that actually goes directly against your profitability. And what's mm-hmm. the big problem that Salesforce is has kind of uniquely had amongst large enterprise software companies? Once they start making profit, is what to do with that profit? Do they start paying down the goodwill? Do they do a dividend? What do they do? Well, let's worry about making a profit first. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, at some point that has to get written down. I mean, that that has to be addressed at some point. Yeah. Um, so here's where I think. It rains on their parade because I, with that amount of goodwill, I don't think Salesforce has a lot, can make too many big acquisitions. They can maybe possibly stretch it to make one big acquisition. And if, if Benioff is still, still gunning for Twitter or for some kind of social media, um, Ellison gave the board something else to target. And he says, this is a quote from this article, founder and CTO Larry Ellison says Oracle is the runaway leader in SaaS ERP market which he says is by far the largest SaaS category. And so if Salesforce has no play on ERP, ERP, then Oracle will eventually outpace Salesforce in SaaS revenue. So he's basically putting it out there and saying, we got ERP. You got, you don't have that. You can't compete with us. You won't be able to compete with us. Kind of. I mean, I mean, that could be somewhat of a problem. So there are ERP solutions that are, First of all, this goes back to like, do you really do, do I really have to have all of my apps completely integrated on the same platform like is that even i mean obviously there's benefits to that but there's also disadvantages to that you know do you really want all your eggs in one basket and you know that's a there's an, and, and i that's a what do you call it a facetious not a facetious, what's it called the um um what's the what's the question that's not meant to be answered it's rhetorical right it's just mm-hmm. it's a rhetorical flourish i just made john <laughs> um it's a different answer for every company. You know how how much you know how much you want to be committed to one platform because there's benefits to it or whatever. But I'm not convinced that your ERP necessarily needs to be on the same 
platforms all your time. I mean, there's, you know, there are, there's, these things all integrate nowadays and everything's got, you know, we're in the, we're in the land of APIs. I mean, you don't have to have everything on the same platform because everything's got APIs now. True. And you've got MuleSoft for everything, right? MuleSoft True. is the, a perfect uh, out of the box integration solution that does everything, right? Absolutely. That's what I've been told. Yeah. Um, well, here's the, here's the thing I think you're not considering. Well, and I, I agree with your I, statements. I'm not finished though. Okay. Salesforce has, they don't own them at, well, they don't own 100% of them, but there are, solu- there are ERP solutions for Salesforce if you really want to go down that road. And one sure. of them is uh, Financial Forces now. Don't they, don't they consider themselves ERP? I know they don't do HR, right? Because that was a big news thing like about a year ago. They kind of backed out of the HR business mm-hmm. and are partnering with, I don't know, someone else. I think it was Workday. Um, but the other ERP type stuff, what, what, what's, what's left? You know, it's not, if you don't have, if it's, if you take out CRM and, and financials and HR, what is left in ERP? Wasn't Sage ERP? I don't know. But anyway, and there's, um, is it, Canandia's ERP too, right? Maybe. Um, so there's, there's solutions out there and Salesforce is probably going to buy one of them <clears throat> and make it the ERP well, cloud. <laughs> That's what I, that's what I'm trying to lead up to is that is that is Salesforce is going to make a big acquisition of of another company, and Benioff wants that to be Twitter. Assuming that this that all this stuff that Benioff was saying, he wants to get Twitter. He wants and it. Twitter's bad. been back in the news. I don't he, know if you saw that. Yeah, because their I guess their stock price has gone down quite a bit. I so wonder why. Yeah, I, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, so uh, see, John, but maybe Ellison, <laughs> knowing this and knowing Benioff, is throwing 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 a little shade at him, saying. So what if you buy Twitter? So what if you get into social media? You're still not going to be able to beat us. And and my 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 argument is that Benioff's worth billions. Okay, he's Few, built a successful yeah. company. He's mm-hmm. he's he's very well known. He's very active in in. in he's become a billionaire by a creating company that <laughs> has had zero profits. I'm not even going there. I know. It's just but he, he's he's well known in San Francisco. He's basically the king of San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. got the tallest erection in San Francisco. <laughs> what what more could he want other than the and what more could he desire other than beating his former mentor Larry Ellison? Yeah, cuz they've had this f- friendly but not friendly little thing going on forever now. Yeah. I think they're still friends. I think they still get together and drink and Well, yeah, but I mean, who do, who do you compete with? Who who pushes your buttons? Who challenges you to get to do more to to do something bigger and better than what you're doing today? Everyone needs that kind of challenge that that something or someone to drive them. Yeah. And I think Ellison is that driving force for Benioff. And if that's true, this is a psychological game. This is Ellison poking Benioff and saying, sure, go ahead, buy Twitter. Yeah. Spend your money on that. Right. You don't have an ERP. I do. Yeah. Well, the whole like scale, like you can't, they can't scale like Oracle can. And I, I might've a year or two ago bought that, bought that argument because, you know, Oracle, they've, uh, well, first of all, you know, they, They bought Sun, what was that, 10 years ago now, something like that? Mm-hmm. And so they got, you know, lots of hardware um, expertise, lots of operating system expertise, networking expertise. I mean, tons of smart people and and technology with Sun. And over the past several years, they built up this um, infrastructure business, this, uh, the PaaS business. And of course, they're, you know, everything, they've converted everything over to SaaS now. Mm-hmm. So I think their ability to scale, I mean, if, if, if assuming he was talking about literally just being able to physically physically scale, um, I think Oracle has an advantage there. Except Salesforce started this AWS thing a couple of years ago, where they're probably going to be over time porting their um, most of their existing, you know, proprietary pods or whatever the hell you want to call it, over to AWS. And theoretically, if they do that right, that will give them the ability to scale as, as certainly as much as they need to, as much as Oracle can and beyond. 
But I don't know that's that's the scale. That and I don't know if you're right. I don't know if that's what he meant. He might have been talking about like more breadth of product. That, that's what I think. I think he's talking about just you know you can only gain so much market share in certain areas, yeah. or or in order to maintain your market share, there's only so much you can do. Um, and so having you know having your foot in all these different industries and building products in those industries or servicing all these different industries, which you know Salesforce is trying to do. They're trying to definitely attack verticals very much so right now to continue their growth. Um, I mean, I think he has a point. I think Eric Ellison has a point that Oracle has them beat on that. Is in product? Oh yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Oracle's got a lot more, you know, ER or um, just enterprise software. What do they call them? Um, oh, yeah, well, I guess they're clouds now. They used to they be call them word, like, suites. No, they used to be suites. <laughs> but now that you know, they, now if you run a suite on someone else's computer, it's a cloud. Yeah. Yeah, they have what? So they they have ERP uh, and including EPM. That must be performance management and financials. HCM, customer experience, which is, um, what you call, uh, which is what the new word is for CRM. Unless you're unless you're old, right? Remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, hang on. And when you say CRM, you're showing your age. All right. So now it's it's CX, John. CX. <laughs> And supply chain management and manufacturing. I th- <clears throat> you know what? Supply chain, that's it. That's the other big one that's kind of ERP-ish, I think, that Financial Force has. They've got supply chain. Yeah. <clears throat> they've also got some, I mean, they've got heavy marketing stuff too, which I think. Financial Force does? No, Salesforce. Oh. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, Oracle. Yes. I think they even have, um, what are they called? MRMs? Marketing Resource Management. So they're like the ERP of marketing, basically. Hmm. Like managing all the content and all that kind of stuff and how that flows. It's it's like a huge big thing. Yeah, I don't I don't get the whole market. I know there's like DMP, right? The digital uh what is DMP? DMP marketing. Data man oh that's not what I meant. Am I wrong about that? I thought there was some kind of Yeah, there's some kind of term. I don't know, there's all different types of these marketing things. But the, yeah, the you know, you've got it's what is it, Oracle, I guess Salesforce with the exact target and part Pardo. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Adobe is a big one. Does, uh, is Microsoft get, in that business? They, I think they are, right? They bought, they bought some. You know, I don't know, Marcus. Yeah. I don't know where Microsoft fits in all this. I just, I just see the big competition between Benioff and Ellison, and, the, and so I just, I just think Salesforce and, and Oracle. I, I know Microsoft somewhere in the background there, but I don't know. I just, I don't see that as much lately. Yeah. In terms of news, like it doesn't make the headlines. I'm not sure why. Anyway, um, okay. Uh, did you see? Uh, I thought this was interesting. Uh, it was a, it was a thing on Twitter, and it was to Wade. It was in response to Wade. Did you see this thread? Uh, he said he was having the hardest time coming up with a blog post um, about the Dev Hub Scratch Orgs, uh, JWT Bearer Flow, and automation. Does that ring a bell? No. So, anyways, there was a little bit of a thread there about you know naming things, and I hate naming things, and. Uh, this guy named Ian Glas- Glaser, which I probably feel like I should know him, but I don't know him, but he apparently works for Salesforce. And he goes, how hard can force uh, colon or colon this thing, colon that other thing be? And he goes, you have no idea. And then he says, oh, no, you actually do. <clears throat> and then and then he replies and says, tell me about it. The team is adding a new namespace in Apex in 214, I guess. And needless to say, naming is challenging. Um, so that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess in general, I mean, naming is hard because in, in at least in the software 
current, especially for, if it's something you're publishing publicly that people form dependencies on, it's, uh, it's forever, right? Yeah. That's what I say. APIs are forever. <laughs> as soon as you publish an API out there, it's, it's locked. You can't change it. You can come up, you can release a new version of it, but now you might be maintaining multiple versions and that's always fun. No kidding. So anyways, I thought it was funny because it mentioned Well, what was he talking? So what was the thing? With, what was he doing with uh, JWTs? Well, I don't know because that wasn't even my By focus. By the way, people call those JOT sometimes. JOT. I hear people saying that. I'm like, eh, don't say that, please. Ew. I know. Sounds douchey. My focus was on that. My focus was I, I saw the word namespace and I was like, oh, Jeremy would like to know about this. It, so it sounds like, you know, just not only naming something, but do you think it's really hard to create a new namespace in Salesforce? Like internally? Like they would, they want, like there's like some huge, huge bureaucracy to create a new namespace in. in oh, I guarantee you there is. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure. And we're talking about Apex, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, ask Chris Peterson. I'm sure he, I'm sure he knows. <laughs> I just, I mean, to- I don't, I'm not sure there's a massive bureaucracy, but I mean, I'm, I'm guarantee there's a lot of meetings that happen before a namespace name is chosen. That was that was my thought, and I, I guess I, I guess it's kind of warranted. I mean, what are your thoughts around what? namespaces in no. general? Do you think do you think there's something <laughs> really, just, really? No, no, no. Hold on, <laughs> let me finish. I, I, I have a very specific thread of conversation I'm going to go down, and that is governance around naming things. The namespace. I mean, do you think it should be easily done where you can ad hoc just willy nilly create any namespace you want? Just to, who should? What are you talking about? Anybody. Let's say you're you. Let's just put this in context of you. Well, I can't add a namespace. No, I can't add a namespace to to the. I can't add a built-in namespace. I'm talking. We're talking about Salesforce. Is, is talking about adding a new built-in namespace for Apex. Yes, I can't add mm-hmm. na- built-in namespaces, and I should not be able to add them. Okay, I'm not making my point very well. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying I'm to say is, <laughs> is, in a world where Salesforce lets you create namespaces in Apex, meaning you as a developer, you can you can create a namespace, something you can't do today. Right. You can do your your my company dot, I don't know unit testing dot something, and there, there's your namespace. Okay. Should there? Do you think that if Salesforce ever did enable that, that there's some risk that people are going to ruin it by creating this massive hierarchy of namespaces that just aren't going to work? I don't. Do you think there's some mean. kind of governance panel <clears throat> I don't know around what that? that? What would you do to set? No, that I don't up? even know what you mean by that. I mean, it's just it. It doesn't matter what the namespace is. The computer doesn't care what the namespace is. It does. No, it doesn't. It does for code isolation. You can you can privatize a a object within a namespace so that well, it's only you, visible to if, that namespace. If they implement namespaces that way, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. But other than that, no, it's I'm, more I'm, than I'm just an organizational the code, the code concept. Doesn't, the system, the computer doesn't care what your namespace is, is what I'm saying. It doesn't care whether it's a random characters or whether it's someone's name or, you know. Mm-hmm. The computer doesn't care. Okay. I'm just saying from my from my best practice, Jeremy's Jeremy's rule of thumb, just like you have your agile process and you have your this and that. What is your namespace process? That's all I'm trying to I get to. I don't have to. a namespace process. You don't <clears throat> you don't have any kind of governance that says governance or says this is this is how you should use namespaces. Oh yes, I do, actually. But it depends on the project. I mean, so namespaces in most languages like that I'm familiar with are it's typically the unit of reuse, it's the unit of packaging. Um so yeah, you need to think about how you it's a, it's a modular it's the unit of modularization. So you need to think about how you design your application and that is that actually gets very that can get can get Well, that's very, the hard part, isn't it? That is the hard how part. How do you define the walls that say this is a mm-hmm. module? Yeah, exactly. How do you define those? Because I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> putting you on the spot. Well, again, you okay, so you have to think about 
what needs what is your unit of reuse and unit of deployment what's the smallest unit because in, in most languages like the the names the, a namespace that's going to be the smallest thing you could actually individually deploy so you can deploy this namespace and it's going to be everything in there typically mm-hmm. um, also you have to think about like you mentioned earlier private like private classes or private things in that namespace. They're there for the benefit of some of the public things. So the public things in the namespace can see the private things in the namespace, but nothing outside of that namespace can see the private things in the namespace. Right. So you have to think about these private things you're going to create. They have to be in the namespace with the the other things that need them. Right, so your public classes have a double (laughs) life. So you kind of have to, in one way, you're kind of grouping... your The public classes together that need access to these certain private things. Mm -hmm. Now... If that creates too much coupling, because you are creating coupling there, then what you do is you make those private things public things, but probably in their own namespace, like you, you know, a, a dreaded utils namespace or some mm-hmm. kind of right, so yeah. that your dependency graph doesn't start getting all jacked up. You, anytime you have two things with the dependency arrows both pointing at each other, you got a problem. Yeah, See, I always find when I'm in a language that does support it that I have the hardest time trying to figure out what that wall is, what that module is, and and it does happen where you end up with some kind of utility namespace where you just start chunking things that are just kind of global that everything uses or some kind of core namespace where you kind of chunk all the stuff that everything uses. And it seems like it gets really ugly and broken. Or Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny you mentioned core. I've got a project right now that I'm working on that there's a namespace called core and nothing depends on it. Nothing depends on it. It, it is literally, and because I, 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 I think about this. If I do draw dependency graphs and you yeah. can, I mean, I can tell things like IntelliJ, I'm sure Visual Studio does this. You can t- say, hey, show me my dependency graph. And it'll just like, it looks at all your classes yeah. and namespaces and it, it draws it for you. And you can see if you've got problems there. Yeah. Because if you have it, if you have two different namespaces that depend on each other, then you essentially have one namespace. They're not independent They're like, as they should be. You've got a lot, you got, you've got a coupling problem and you've, you haven't designed something well, which goes back to your point. Like, how do you do this? Well, it's hard. <laughs> you end up back where you started. I mean, with there are a whole, big yeah, there are whole books written on this thing. So I, I, I couldn't possibly even begin to do it justice, but. It has a lot to do with coupling, visibility, um, deployability, modularization, modularization, you know, all these things. And there probably there's no easy answer. And this is why uh, this is why uh, it just takes time to learn these things and become a good software engineer. This yeah. is this is engineering, you know. I mean, I do think it would be nice in, in the world of modules to, to, and especially in the world of Salesforce and say permission sets to be able to kind of create a module of functionality attach a permission set to that and build it to kind of deploy based on module. I think that would be a much cleaner, much nicer world to work in than say everything's in the same namespace and it all has to deploy at the same time type situation. Yeah. I actually want to, I, I haven't done anything with the new packaging stuff. I'm not even sure if it's available. It's not is it in Salesforce. Packaging 2 stuff. But I'm sure we'll um, get a, a, a lot more info on what's happened with Packaging 2 since last year. Hmm. Um, it's probably closer, but... Um, did I tell you I had customers asking about DX? I think I did. I, think I mentioned that. No, you didn't. What they ask about it? It was one customer um, that I was on a meeting with, and they were they brought up the subject of DX, and I was I was kind of taken aback. I was like, "Well, well why are you asking about DX?" Because Salesforce point? is marketing it everywhere. And I'm like, basically. why is Salesforce? Uh, yeah, and that was my thought. It's like the, like the trailhead stuff. Because this was on a pre-sales call, so I was like, "Why is Salesforce talking about DX?" Because this is a enterprise customer, not a ISV. And as far as I know, aside from ISVs, there's really no benefit or even real functionality that anyone else can use. Well, and also, again, this is Salesforce. So you've taken the term DX now means so many different things. 
Mm. I mean, it's, I don't know, there's, there's this whole, there's, there's a command line tool called DX, right? There is a, a scratch org thing that's kind of called, some people call it DX. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a con, an annual conference now that people call DX. There's a whole program, an umbrella program that's called DX. So, yeah, when someone says, "Hey, uh, we heard about this DX thing. What are you, what are you, are we doing that, or are you using that?" And it's like, "Well, I mean, what are you talking about?" Because well, I think what happened is this customer has has for some of their other systems automation built. They have they have continuous integration built for some of their other stuff. Yeah, and so I think in the sales cycle, one of the tech guys said, "Hey, how do we how do we develop on this, and and can we hook this into our continuous integration?" And, and so, so the sales like, rep was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we have we have CI. Oh yeah, we, we do have CI. this thing we called DX. Yeah, and it's CI." And I'm like, "Oh crap!" That 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 was my thought of what happened there, uh, right? Because why else would they bring it up? I don't know. That just reminds me. <clears throat> the thing I'm hoping for for an announcement at Trailhead DX is a total reboot of the deployment system. I'm not even going to say the metadata API because maybe it's something that's even beyond the metadata API. It's like a new way to bundle and deploy your build, your org. So is your perspective that maybe the metadata metadata, metadata APIs that exist today should be like a 1.0 thing and we should have like a metadata 2.0? So maybe, if it's, but it needs to be really a completely different model. I, I, I think so, I agree. I mean, the way it works and even some of the inconsistencies between how you build a package, some things you can build you have to build by name. Like you can't do an asterisk to get all the metadata in the package. You have to actually list out all the names of things. And then even just the constraints around how much you can download. Like you have to actually batch. Like if you have, if you were to want to get all the metadata for reports, you have to batch that. So you have to know what all the metadata is and then go and batch it. It just yeah. seems odd. You should be able to just request a package <clears throat> and have it sent to you. I mean, even if it takes, even if you have to go into a queue and it takes like an hour, fine. But let me request my package, and then you send it to me when it's right. ready. I mean, has anything fundamentally changed about the metadata API in the, what, 10 years or so it's been around? I don't think so. Yeah. And, and with that, I don't think they anticipated the size of projects. Mm, that or I they, don't know. Benioff's been, Benioff's been saying the 10 billion thing for, I mean, he's totally has anticipated this size, so I, not well, really sure I buy that. <laughs> I'll use that to segue to my next topic. Uh, where is it? Uh, Twilio. So there was this Twilio article about, and the only reason it's an article that showed up in my feed is because it was a former Salesforce employee that is now the chief marketing officer for Twilio. Who is it? Uh, Sarah Varney? Varney? Sarah Varney. Okay. Uh, She spent 10 years at Salesforce, uh, most recently leading the marketing for Sales Cloud. Anyways, in in this article buried was a quote from her. Um. In the article, it says, in the meantime, she's enjoying her early days at Twilio. In particular, she loves how f- developer-friendly it is. You never know what developers are going to cook up next. That, too, reminds her of her early days at Salesforce when she was working on the enterprise software company's own developer platform. And quotes, she says, we didn't know, uh, brackets, what developers would do. We had the seeds planted for them. So the way she makes it sound is when it came to development, they would plant the seeds and say, hey, we want this kind of feature. Go off and figure it out and do it. So it sounds like, you know, in terms of implementation, the, the, again, this is this is friend of a friend talking <laughs> type situation. It sounds to me like the implementation details weren't worked out. It was just, hey, we want this, figure it out and make it happen. I think she just means, I think you're making a mountain out of a molehair here. 
here. I think she means that you know they created a, a development platform. It's with uh, you know a, a visual force and a, and a language and a, and a deployment system. And they mm-hmm. said, "Here, go forth and build." But I don't that's think, all she's talking I about. I think she was more. T- she wasn't talking about us. She was talking about the the developers of Salesforce, the right. Salesforce platform right. itself. They created these things and then gave them to the developer community and said, "Here, go forth and build." Yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think that kind of goes back to the point you're making about the vision that Benioff had or or the idea around, you know, how the system was built and who it was catered to. I, d- I just don't think it was that strategic. Hmm, okay. I don't know. I wasn't, I'm not in these, I'm not in the inner circle, John, so I, I don't know. Well, all we can do is speculate. That's I know. All, that's, all, that's all I can do either. I just think you're making, I don't, I don't think she meant what you're thinking. What do you think I think I think I... <laughs> okay, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> next. Uh, what else you got for me, John? Uh, this was interesting. Uh, so I don't know if I heard this in our, I don't know where I heard about this. It might've been on our Slack channel. I hear most of the things from our Slack channel. Uh, you remember that when they turned off debug logs for a community and you had to use a cookie to be able to enable uh, debug logs? You, yeah, it basically went, okay. I know what you're talking about in a, in a non-authenticated yeah. Site, whether it's a community or not, yeah, you have to send. There is, I don't think it's a cookie. There's an HTTP header that has to be sent on the request in order for Salesforce to actually, uh, you know, write anything to a debug log. So yes, I know what you're talking about. I think. Well, and I, it was a cookie. You had to set a cookie, and I think that Maybe went along with the request. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, but you basically had to inject that into the browser. Yeah, it's like debug. You know, to set it to one or something. Yeah, you had to yeah. open up your dev console and set the cookie, and then it would get passed or something. I don't remember exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the reasoning behind that was that debug log, because the way the community works for a non-authenticated site, it's a single, it's a, a guest account. Yes. And, so and there is a user for that. And so you'd think when you go set up a trace blog or whatever the hell the thing is called for, the, for that guest user of that site, that you'll get logs for them, right? Well, but you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> and you will spend hours, if not days, trying to figure out why you're not getting logs. Well, there, there's two problems with that. And I, I understand the Salesforce side of it, and I understand the, the developer side of it. So the, the, the two sides of it are, some of the developer side of it is you want to get debug logs because someone's reporting an issue and you want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Salesforce side of the problem is that it's one account. If you have 10 people hitting that at the same time, your debug logs are going to be 10 times. Yeah, it's not that it's, yeah, it, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's not necessarily that it's just one account. It's just that on a on a site, which is allowed to be a high volume, could be a high volume thing. Right. I mean, you, could, you know, if you've got tens of thousands of requests per, you know, minute or hour or something, then yeah, that's, if you're having to log a ton of crap to disk. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, it can, you could bring, you could melt down a server doing that. So yeah, well, no, I, I know I know why they do it. It just not in the Salesforce world because they limit you to a size and then they chunk it. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> so that size is like it's still two megabytes. I mean, if you have to write two megabytes for every HTTP request that comes in, and you're and you've got some massive site or you get DDoS or you you know something, um, yeah, that could that could melt the server. You could, but it's not even organized that way. It's one user account. You're not even logging by IP or anything like that. Which is oh no, it's still you still got IP. I mean, on you're the not, debug log. You not get user account for the trace? No, you don't. Anyway, it does it doesn't matter? I'm just saying it doesn't. Regardless, you every single request that comes in can result in a two megabyte log being written. Yeah, and I guess my point is the debug log is useless because if you're lo- if you're in the site and doing stuff, and I'm in the site doing stuff, how do you know what transactions are mine versus yours? You don't. You don't. You don't. No, that doesn't mean it's useless though. You still 
it's fairly useless. No, it's not, John. If you're trying to isolate a problem based okay. on user behavior. Okay. Outside of the Salesforce world, typically everyone everyone writes, every request that comes in gets written to logs and you use one of these programs that analyzes your logs. Even They even use AI now, so or machine learning to analyze <laughs> logs, right? So everyone's writing... But you usually have a lot more information about the, disk. the IP or the MAC address or something. You have something that identifies that specific user for that transaction. Well... You don't have a MAC address, that's for sure. IP is not well, a good I'm is sorry. not a good identifier for a user. Um, you might have a cookie if you've set a if you set a cookie in the browser sending those. But a lot of times you don't need it. You just the, you typically with logging, what you're looking for is um, uh, just patterns. Um, well, first of all, you're looking you're looking for health. So if you if you're seeing errors, mm-hmm. um, but you're also looking for things like um, I mean, this is how things like what is it? Google uh, uh, trend not trends. Um, Analytics, sorry. I mean, you can actually analyze like your funnel and where people are leaving your site and all that kind of stuff simply mm-hmm. just by logging the URLs people hit. So there, a lot of the logging work, works, works that way. Does it, it, you don't even really need to know which user it was or whatever. So, yeah, I'd, some I'd, of it does use, you know. I mean, there, there, I'm, I'm thinking of very specific scenarios where you're trying to reproduce behavior, you're unable to reproduce it. So, you, as part of a service call, you get online with that person and you say, okay, do the stuff that you did because I am mm-hmm. unable to reproduce yeah. it. I want to see the logs of what you did. Oh, and yeah, if you already if you also have a thousand other users on the site active, right. yeah, yeah, that's gonna get lost. Yeah. So yeah. No, that that could be a so, problem. Yeah. It's never been a problem for me, but um I just haven't had that problem. I mean I'm usually dealing with authenticated users on most like the when I do communities and stuff. I don't I haven't done a lot of I haven't done I don't think I've done I any like have. you've done yeah, I don't think yeah. I've done any um like not authenticated high volume site. So I haven't had that problem. Yeah, I've done some crazy stuff. I mean, honestly, I'd, if I had an un- non-authenticated thing, I wouldn't run it on Salesforce. So, <laughs> so that's part of partly why I will never, probably never have that problem. Yeah, I've done some crazy stuff in my past. Um, so, anyways, the <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. And then there's the crazy Salesforce stuff you did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry, that was a bad joke. I my internet cut off. Why did it cut Uh-oh. off? Because you're logging too many things to disk. You've been cut off. You've had. I hit the max system dot max bandwidth reached. <laughs> Are you online? I don't know. I'm I'm doing a podcast. Well, my notes. Uh, Your mind. notes are on, online. So, anyways, in spring eighteen, apparently they're going to back out of that that whole concept of the cookie. They're going to let you basically grab your logs like you used to. Um, so so you don't have to send the cookie with the request. You don't have to send yeah. the cookie. Um, they basically <laughs> they basically said, I guess that was too hard for people to set a cookie, so we're just going to back it's out of this. Not, it's not that... Okay, so in my case, it wasn't hard to set the cookie. Although sometimes, depending on if you can't control the client, and I, when I say the client, I mean the, the user agent, right, that's mm-hmm. doing the request. If you can't control them, then sometimes it can be hard. But if yeah. you... Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'll, usually all I do is open up PAW or whatever people use, Postman or whatever, and, and hit a request real quick and send whatever headers required, and then I can, I can trace, you know, trace the log. Um, no, it's it's, and it's not that it's necessarily hard to do that. It's just that 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 requirement to do that is not something that's discoverable. Like you sit there and go, because Salesforce already has problems with like you not being able to get logs when you mm-hmm. should be able to, and it, and that's gotten better. It used to be yeah. worse, but I still run into that. I'm like, damn it, why am I not getting a log here? Like today, I had the problem where I'd get like there was this um you, you know uh, you do something Salesforce and it would it would kick off some triggers and things and like I would get the first part of the log, but then it would just. It, but and that thing would kick something else off, but the, I wouldn't get any of the subsequent stuff. And I'm like, what the hell? And then I, but then I realized it's it's actually is a is a queuable. And it was like a chaining queuables, mm. and it's like so the it's first one. The first one gets logged, but after that, yeah, they don't get logged. Even though I've got logging set up for the user, mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't happen under that user anymore. 
But you're outside that context. Does it show up for the user that set up the? No, it should have. It should show up. It's By the weird. way, so it's back weird. back to any of the back to the quirkiness of logging. Have you ever noticed this? Like you know when you go to set up debug logs, right? And you can set up a d- debug log for a certain user, right? Right. Or you can also set up for like a class, like log anything having to do with this class, yes. right? You've done that, right? So when you create one, go, go next after we get done here. Go into Salesforce, create a create a debug log for some Apex class, save it, mm-hmm. and then look at your list of active debug debug logs. It won't be there. It won't show up. So then what are you going to do? You're like, oh, crap, I guess I'll try creating again. So you got to create it again for the same class. And it says, hey, this already exists. You can't create it. There's already one for this class, mm-hmm. but you can't see it. So because you can't see it, you can't cancel it. You can't change the filters on it. It's like someone, who, who's in charge of this debug system? That's what I want to know because I would like to have a conversation <laughs> with them. Maybe we can make that happen at uh, the Trailhead X. <laughs> well, I thought it was funny what they said in this, this uh, release note. Sadly, people did not like the Winter 17 change. Setting cookies is complicated. And the change made collecting <laughs> debug logs for public users' asynchronous activity impossible. Cookies are hard. <laughs> We've seen the error of our ways. Uh, your public users no longer need a debug logs browser cookie to trigger logging. Do you like this when Salesforce has to be cute in their... Uh... I do. You do? Okay. I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, you know, because they're going, kind of going the enterprise, I feel like the the easy way out is for them to kind of be all corporate and stuffy and safe harbory. So I like in the release notes and even the some of the documentation where they kind of get tongue in cheek about things. I, I like it. It's like when you're small, you try to act like you're big. When you're big, you try to act like you're small. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Can we yeah. just be happy with who we are? <laughs> Let's be comfortable in our own skin here, please. Uh, comfort is a thing. Yeah, man, that was that Cubal thing. And I also hit, I'm glad you brought that up because I, this just like blows my mind. Okay, so Cubals. You can have 50 Cubals at once, right? Yeah. And so I designed this thing. And uh, basically, uh, a Cubal does some stuff with an API. Uh-huh. And then based on the result of that, it, it kicks off other Cubals. Another Cubal. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. But an, only it, one. You can only kick off one at a time. Yeah. If it's yeah. from another cubicle, even though you can have fifty, yes, you can have fifty if they are if you've kicked Different them off from another one. Kicked it off. A yep. transaction can only kick off one cubicle. Yeah. No. A cu- No. If you're in a cubicle context, it it can only kick off one. Oh right. But in yeah. a in yeah. a non cubicle, non future, I'm assuming type of context, you can you can you can fill your queue of fifty. Actually, right I then, think right? you can queue from a future. I th- I have code that prevents it, but I think you can technically. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how I didn't hit that problem before, but I hit it today. Now, so now I've got to like re-architect how all this these API calls are work are going to work. Oh yeah, good old Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you trying to kick w- off two cubicles? Salesforce, where it's usually your ninth plan that actually ends up working. <laughs> but I, I want to know why you're trying to kick off two cubicles. Because I'm I'm doing a so imagine this I'm let's say I'm create I'm doing an API call to another system I'm creating a record. It's only uh-huh. when I get its ID back that I can start hanging records off of it. So I'm kind of creating this graph of things. Uh-huh. It's like Salesforce before they had that tree resource, right? Because right? that that's tree resource solves that. You can send a whole tree of objects and it creates them on one transaction. Well, this system doesn't have that. It's just a basic REST, which by the way, I've decided that the the true like, you know, Restafarian REST, like the whole, the what's the guy's name that did the dissertation um, on HTTP that created, you know, re- re- this, this whole REST. I have no clue. Anyway, I, it is so pedantic, and it's so. It, people really, I don't think. I don't think it's. I mean, I've I've not really seen any system where it's been useful to really stick to that freaking PhD dissertation. 
it just makes things difficult. I, Give yeah. me an API that's designed for the domain, not this generic API that can be transversed by traversed by any web client without any former without any prior knowledge of the system. Well, I'm never going to have a web client that has no prior knowledge of the system. When I build a web client for an API, it's for that freaking API, and I'm building that API usually. Yeah. So just. These people that are you're so pedantic about rest, and that's not that's not true rest. You're not doing it right. <laughs> oh, please! <laughs> but that's the way that's kind of the way this system is. So I have to I have to post to a resource, get the you know the the new ID back, and then I can hang things off. Are you sure, that wasn't a patch. <laughs> this guy said it was a, <laughs> no, it was a post. It was supposed to be a patch. Yeah. Well. Damn it. Uh. Anyway. So that's, that's why I'm having to... And, and the tricky thing is, um, after... Here's my problem. After I do that initial post and get the ID for the new thing I created, I need to hang several things off of that. But each one of them, it has to be a separate post because you, you can post you post that resource once per to create things. And, and, in, and I have... It's really one to many things I need to create. I, mm-hmm. It could be just one, in which case I'm not going to get the error because I want to create one cubable off of the existing cubable. Mm-hmm. But if there's like three things I need to create, I just loop through them and and was just firing off these cubables. Well, oh. if it's two or more, I mean, since you hit, since you try to do that second cubable, it's it yeah. stops me. Yeah, that's that's the wrong. So I'm gonna have to that. chain those those yeah. those cubables end to end. Like I'm just gonna have to. And luckily, cubables can have states. So I think I can pass the list of things that need to be created into the first cubable, and they can each each time and it can basically eat its own call its own tail right yeah and, and essentially just, you create your own queue your list which is basically a queue and it pops off that list yes it can just yeah, every time it runs right. yeah that's exactly what i've done yeah. and it, as long as here's my only concern that those could run concurrent they can't run concurrently no because no because you're serializing yeah, it by calling one and after i won't the other. i won't queue the the queue until i'm at the end of the previous right. one so okay yeah yeah, I, I think it's really just bad nomenclature on Salesforce's part to call this queuable because you think I can fire up all these events and queue them up. I can queue these ten <laughs> events up so that they'll run in sequential order on it's the stack. It's queuable, but I can't but queue you them. Can't okay, queue them. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's basically it's 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 an asynchronous process. I don't. It, they it's should, a singleton. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been called something else, not queuable. Singleton. It's, it's just a, a singleton. You can, you can do one at a time. <laughs> Uh, we're such dorks. Uh, Let's talk about this beer. Yeah, this is my. Uh, I guess my latest. Oh, by the way, I, I, I told you today, but I'll tell the the, the army here. I w- I won my first beer contest. That's right. <laughs> it was it was not a Ooh. serious competition. A, a buddy of mine does a giant party at his house every in usually it's in January and it's the polar bear. Did you party. do the polar bear no, plunge? I didn't. No, I didn't. So what people do. Is they um, at nine? It's at nine o'clock at night. So the party usually starts around seven, but at nine, they do this plunge, and everyone wears these crazy costumes, and they they jump in the guy's pool and swim from one end to the other. And it's yeah, it's Texas, but it does get pretty cold here. Now, luckily, it was only I think it was about fifty degrees at at, uh, oh, at the time they jumped, but the water was like forty two or something, and then that's that's pretty cold. You're afraid it's of been colder. Yeah, I guess. Is that why you didn't yeah, plunge? I can't afford any shrinkage. <laughs> <laughs> Title. <laughs> um, but anyway, and, and 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 you know, people donate, and 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 it's a big thing for charity. So they usually, you know, raise about a couple grand, something like. Usually, it's kind of where it's at for S- the SPCA, which is like an animal uh, charity in the United mm-hmm. States. Maybe they're worldwide. I don't know. 
Um, and then they usually donate it on like a triple match day where c- local kind of big companies will match. And so the engine ends up being like a six, $6,000 donation. Nice. But um, he's, last year they started with like this, they had this barbecue competition thing to it. And actually I competed in that last year, didn't win. Um, but like a hand, you know, probably half a dozen people brought barbecue and, and you get a chip when you, when you get in. And so you just have to put that chip in the bucket of whichever barbecue you liked. Okay. Well, this year they did that. They added home, homebrew. And there were like a, there were like six or seven homebrewers that brought ke- their keg, and set up, and we and they they not create a nice little signs for us like with like our brewery and like the name of the beer and the style and the ABV and all that. Um, and uh, yeah, I won. It's awesome. I won with my barrel aged chocolate heat. Yeah, you won so so you won so awesomely that there's nothing left to taste. I know. Yeah, the keg just completely they floated the keg. So, so I, I have no concept. But of you, what had it was the, like. you had the you had the non barrel aged chocolate heat. Yeah, but barrel age is so so different. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it again. Where'd you get so. the barrel? I actually didn't use barrel. I used um, oak. Uh, they take basically the barrel staves uh-huh. and cut them into cubes. Ah, and so I just put those in the in the kind of storing the the storage vessel that I keep the beer in. Same difference. It's it's probably it's not. <laughs> and in fact, I shouldn't call it barrel age. You know, if I if I was a brewery, I, I wouldn't call it that. But I'm not, so I can call it whatever the hell I want to. Well, the point is to get some of that. Yeah, it's whiskey, the barrel flavor. Whiskey right, into exactly. The, it's into the, the oak, beer. the vanilla, the caramel, yeah. the kind of coconutty, just different flavors you get out of oak. And it's and it was I used like medium toast Hungarian oak, so it's it's designed for wine or beer or whatever whiskey, whatever yeah. you're gonna do. Although in like bourbon, in the United States has to be um, has to be American oak, couldn't be Hungarian oak. Hmm. Hungarian's got some interesting properties to it though. So I was like, yeah, why not? Whatever. Uh, but no, that was fun. Anyway, this beer is my latest. This is um, this has become a series. So I made this uh, a beer called "Is This Even Beer?" <laughs> Do you remember that one? Yeah. And that one um, had so it's a New England IPA style, and uh, it had Citra and oh, I think El Dorado and Motueka uh, mm-hmm. hops. This one is this is kind of the next in the series. It's still called "Is This Even Beer?" But it's Citra and Vic Secret hop. And it's not beer. I mean, I swear to Jeremy, I could pour some vodka in it and make a screwdriver. It's it is very juicy, <laughs> and it's like it is definitely epitomizes the Mine's whole gone. the whole juicy hot. Drink it all here. Finish this off. Oh, oh, take, crap. This. take that. Um, You're an enabler, by the way. Yeah. So just a little thing on Vic. So I can't I, pop the cork because it's a twist I off. I know it's a twist off. <laughs> you, can't, you can't piss off Jody. <laughs> Oh, um, no. So Vic Secret, I believe, is Australian. Whereas, like, last, the last batch I did with, like, Motueka, I think is, uh, it's New Zealand, obviously, by the name. There's no sediment, right? No. Nope. But Vic Secret supposedly has pineapple, pine, and passion fruit. I don't know about the pine part. I'm not big on pine. I'm not big on pine either, which is why I'm glad this does not have a lot of pine. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time I've done Vic Secret. I think I have another half pound of it, so I think I might do a straight Vic Secret uh, beer with no, no citra. And make it your Victoria Secret. I know. I'm sure people, I'm sure, Terrence, you get on un, uh, untapped and I'm, I guarantee there's a lot of beers called Victoria's Secret that have this hop. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's, it's super fruity. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Like it. It's this, good. I think this turned out better than the first batch did. And I'm, and currently fermenting in my brewery right now is a Dortmunder, a Dortmunder export. Nice. That'll what about say, a stout? I need a good stout. I, I've, I've fallen in love with stouts lately. I have like two stouts I, on top. For winter, John. I'd started just doing stouts just for the hell of it. And then I got hooked on them. And now I love them. The only thing is they tend to be a bit heavier. Yep. Than- so I, have, I have two stouts on tap. I've got, um, oh gosh, um, I forget the name of it. I forget what I called it, but it's just like, it's like a 5% oh, nice. stout. 
It's good. It's uh, a rarity. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have my, I ended up calling it candy bars with a Z, but it's, it's um, my Almond Joy beer. So that's a f- almost 15%. Is that going to taste like grape soda stout. too? That is, soda no, that is, that's the, that's one you call, that's, that's the one I call soda. grape soda. Uh, yeah. Which I think, yeah, I think you're crazy. Maybe my taste buds are messed up. Maybe it's allergies or something. I don't know. I need to try it again. Could be. I mean, you and your sinuses, your nose is never working correctly. No. I'm defective. What this is, this is after show, but I guess that's fine because we, we, I kind of, we're just FYI, we're like for the next couple of months, I'm just going to be busy as a one legged man in a butt kicking contest. So, which is probably politically incorrect to say, uh, whatever. Um, so we're probably going to have a little bit shorter shows and probably not as much after show stuff, not yeah. an after show, just because I just don't have a lot of time. And John's going to be doing all the prep and content and he's going to be running the show. I'm going to do my best. I will do you proud. Anyway, what do we have any more topics, John? Um, not that's worth the let's time. Let's do, let's do some reminders here. So we have, so Trailhead DX is coming up. What is that? March? Is that? Oh boy, I better look at a calendar. 20, oh shoot. 28th? 27th through 29th? Yeah, something like that. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm liking this Fantastical. Oh, good. I haven't tried BusyCal, but I, f- I feel like Fantastical, it seems just fine, so I don't even know why I would try BusyCal. Yeah. All right, so it's March. It's got to be 27th through 29th. We could probably also just Google Trailhead DX, and I would imagine their website comes right. I'm not online, so I can't. I don't know How are you not on. online? I don't know. System's messed up. Yeah, it's, it's, so Trailhead DX is the 20th through 29th, right? Right, that's yeah. Wednesday and Thursday. So if you're going to that, uh, we're doing the kind of our our meet extracurricular, up. extracurricular, yeah. the meetup. Um, it's kind of a community driven thing. It's you know going to be free. Although if you want to donate, I'm sure you can. Uh, that's Friday, so it's, it's the 30th, the day after Trailhead DX is finished. It's going to be right there, probably somewhere is, is near um, that area as possible. It might even be where the SF. What are they called? The SF Jug. No, that's the Java thing. Uh, yeah, what's, the, what's the, whatever the San Francisco Salesforce group is, it might be in their space. I don't know. We have no clue. But anyway, definitely, um, I mean, I think it's happening. And if it's de- if it ends up not happening, that's okay. We'll just all hang out and like... Drink beer and talk. Yeah, drink beer and <laughs> do whatever. Um, so we'll, we'll make it a fun day regardless. So definitely schedule your travel so that you've got another night in your hotel, at least, at least one more night. Actually, mm-hmm. John and I are staying until Sunday. You told me not to mention uh, that last time. No, you you let the cat the out of the bag. The cat out of the bag. So, uh, but yeah. So get, you know, arrange your flights and your hotels so that you can uh, stay Friday and go to the extracurricular. Do we have a website for that yet? Uh, I'm actually going to get it up and running tonight. Can we announce the URL? Uh, we should the, be able to right? the extracurricular dot org. Yeah, Make the, sure you spell that right. Yeah, a good thing that's not a hard to spell domain name. <laughs> <clears throat> the extracurricular dot org. Okay, cool. Yeah. Once I get it up, I'll put it on the Slack. So if that's too hard to spell, just go to our Slack channel, join our Slack channel, yeah. gooddaysirpodcast dot com forward slash community, or just click on the link community, put in your email address, and I'll add you in. That's a manual process for me, so be patient. Although you stay, you do pretty good at. I mean, you I do. You do much better at that than you did returning any of my texts or emails. So yeah, I'm better at that than that. Although you know, we do have a lot of listeners around the world who. You know, sign up at two a.m. and I'm not up. Well, that's true. So, yeah. well, well, actually, usually you are. Sometimes I'm up, <laughs> but by then I'm trying to ignore everything else and get what I need to get done. Yep. All right. Well, other than that, uh, you know the drill. Share us on the socials. Uh, we love reviews. Um, give us five stars. All the stars. All the all the hearts. All the love. All the likes. Um, what else? Uh, topics. Send us. Yeah. Since I'm going to be uh, on light duty, uh, help John out by sending some topics in info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Stuff you think we should talk about or we haven't talked about or questions uh, you want us to answer. What else, John? Is that it? 
That's all I got. All right. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.